Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, great to have you here this morning. Um, We're going to have some fun. We're going to explore this morning the scriptures, and we're really going to take apart some ideas. And so um, we're going to kind of dive in, so I hope you're ready to go deep with me this morning. But I think if you'll catch what God's laid on my heart to speak to you about this morning, I think it will change your life. I know it will. I, I can be a, I'm a testament, a living testament to what I'm going to be talking about this morning, and I'll tell you my story a little bit in just a little bit. But um, I'm going to start off this morning by taking us back. If you turn the pages of Scripture back to uh, ancient Egypt, the uh, nation of Israel were captives in that land. Uh, you know, they came there as Hebrews. They came there as a family, Joseph's family, and uh, there were a handful of them. I mean, there's, there's a few of them as far as the family goes. But within a span of 400 years, they had grown to be millions of people. They grew into a nation while they were in Egypt over 400 years. And the Egyptian leaders feared a revolt. And so the Egyptian leaders, the pharaohs of the times, took the Hebrews and they put them into slavery. They made them the slaves of their empire. And they were the ones who did the backbreaking leg-breaking work in order to make Egypt function because that was their place, because they didn't want them to revolt. So they thought, if we keep them under slavery, then we're not going to have an issue with that. Well, then, then along came this guy named Moses, a prophet that God raised up who was tasked with leading the Hebrews out of Egypt and out of slavery into this place that God called the promised land. It was a new land for them that was plentiful, that would be their own. It would be their own nation where they wouldn't be under another uh, government. They would have their own government. They would have their own uh, resources. It would be a great place for them. And uh, through many miracles, God punished the Egyptians, and he uh, set the Jewish people free out of Egypt. And from there, it was just supposed to be a quick stop in the desert to get the Ten Commandments and to get the laws so that they could set up their new government. And then within a few weeks, they should have been into the promised land, and they should have been taking over the promised land and starting to enjoy the fruit that God had for them in this land that they had. But before we go into that, well, most of you know that story, how that ended, right? They didn't go right into the promised land, right? They ended up being in a holding pattern in the desert for 40 years. Why? Well, that's what I want to explore today. But before we go on to that, let's take a step back and see how we can apply this story to our lives. You see, there's these things in the Bible called types. And essentially, they're like, biblical types are like metaphors or foreshadowing of things yet to come. So uh, I'll give you an example, the Ark of Noah. That was a biblical type of Jesus Christ because salvation was found in the Ark and everything else um, was destroyed. And so Noah's salva- or the salvation of the ark is a type of Jesus Christ. The Egyptian, the, the, the Hebrews, are a type for the Christians in this story. Egypt is a type of sin. And so we, all of us who were born into this world, were born into sin. Whether we sinned or not, we were born with a sinful nature. We were born into a nation. So we were born slaves. Each and every one of us was. But through the miraculous power of Jesus Christ and the fact that God raised him up from the dead, we were set free to be slaves no longer. So God took us out of, that, out of our Egypt and he set us free. And uh, in fact, in Galatians 5.1, it says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we were in slavery 
But it was for freedom that Christ came and set us free. He set us free from slavery. He set us free from Egypt, right? For our own Egypt. Not only were we set free, though, and here's where it gets cool. Not only did Jesus set us free, because the the Jewish nation, they were set free, right? But they were in the desert. They might have been free, but they weren't quite yet in their promised land. And so they were in the desert where that wasn't quite a promised land, and there wasn't anybody there, but... There was a reason nobody was there, because nobody likes to hang out in the desert. There's nothing there. There's no water. There's no way of making food that's sustainable. So Jesus set us free in the same way, but he also promised us, like the Jewish people, he promised a promised land. Jesus promised us, God promised us a promised land of our own. It's found in John 10.10. It says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come, this is Jesus talking, that they may have a life and have it to the full. We have a promised land as Christians. We have a place that God has set aside that is full. That word full there is a word that means in excess. It's a Greek word, perisos, which means super abundant in quality and superior, or I'm sorry, super abundant in quantity and super uh, abundant or superior in quality. So a quantity life and a quality life is what that word full means. Who wants a quality, quantity life? Anybody in this place? Me too. God, isn't it cool that Jesus promised us that? He set us free, and then he said, I've come that they could have life and have it to the full. We as Christians have a promised land of our own. What does that life look like? Well, I just kind of jotted a few things down as it came to my mind and my heart, uh, biblical things and things that I, I know and I see. First of all, it's, it's, it's a life of peace. I mean, a person who's living the full life is a life of peace. Because sometimes people think that you know, living the full life means that God's going to um, come through on that lottery ticket that I bought last week, okay, right? And I'm going to have millions of dollars, and then I'll have a full life. Guess what? There's a lot of millionaires out there who have incredibly empty lives. Money doesn't bring a full life. You know, and people run to all kinds of different things and think they're going to have a full life if they just get these things. But let me tell you what a biblical, full, let, me, let me tell you what this full life that Jesus promises look like, looks like. It may look different than what you think. Like I said, it's a life of peace. It's a life that doesn't need to feel the need to live up to anybody's expectations, but be free to be you. How great would it be if, the, if you could just say no to somebody and not have to worry about their expectations and just be free to be you? It's a life of joy that doesn't depend on good circumstances because we all know it's easy to have joy or to be happy when circumstances and things are going well, but what about being able to have that same perspective and that same outlook when the world's crashing down around you? That's part of the full life that Jesus promises us. It's a life of contentment whether you have a little or you have a lot. So you might have a ton of money and doing really well and you're content or, or a lot of things maybe. Or maybe you're one of those people that you're just living paycheck to paycheck, you're living day to day, you don't know where the next meal is coming from, but you can still be content. That's a promised land. That's promised to us. It's, it's a life in which you're comfortable in who you are and confident in the abilities that God's given you without having to compare yourself to anybody else. That means you don't have to just jump on social media while everybody else is going on vacation and you're sitting at home in churro, you know? It's, you don't have to compare your life to anybody else. You don't have to look at somebody who seems to be more talented than you, more successful than you, making more money than you, uh, you know, gets better grades than you. You don't have to look at those people anymore and compare yourself because you're confident in who you are and what God has given you to do, and you, you can congratulate and you can be happy for those people without wanting what they want. 
and feeling, and feeling less than in your own life. That's part of the full life Jesus promises us. A life free from anxiety about what may or may not happen in the future. You don't have to sit around and worry about what could happen or what will happen or, or what your kids will do or they won't do. Or You don't have to have anxiety. That's a full life. A life of real connection with your family, relationships which you can be free to talk about what's on your heart and enjoy other people while adding value to their lives. A life where you can find fulfillment in the work that you do, no matter where it is that you work or who it is that you work for. See, I, I run into people all the time that are, how's your job? How's your job going? Oh, horrible. The people that, I, the guy that I work for, the, the lady I work for, you would not believe this person. And then they go on to describe them. And then they get another job. And I say, they're like, if I could just get out of here, I'd be happy. You know, and they get to the next job. And the next job goes well for a couple of months. And then I ask, hey, how's the job going? Oh my gosh, you would not believe my supervisor, my boss, you know. If you can be content, no matter where you work or who you work for, that's part of the fulfilled life. And let me tell you something as a worker, side note, this is free. If you're working for Jesus, you're always going to be content. So take that person's face that you're loathing, your supervisor, and just transpose a Jesus face on them. That'll make you happy when you go to work, right? That's the full life. Who would like to experience the full life, the promised land for Christians? Me too. Me too. That is a great life to live, and that is what's promised to us all through Jesus Christ. But the sad part is a lot of people are not living that, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But I want to jump back into our story real quick about the Jewish nation and when they got to the promise. So, so they, they stopped in the desert. They had some issues getting the law. But then finally they, they went to the promised land, and they're sitting at the precipice, the edge of the promised land, and they're ready to move in. And God says, I want you to send 12 spies, 12 guys from each of the 12 tribes, one guy from each tribe, to go out into this land, and I want them to explore and spy and see, see if it really is what I said it was. So they sent out the 12 men to check it out and see if it's good and to see, uh, to see, to see exactly if it was what God had said it was. Then after 40 days of exploring, everybody's kind of hanging out in the desert just waiting, we get their report in Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 28. This is what they said. This is their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore it, and it's indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit that it produces. And they brought back some grapes and some dates and things like that, some stuff that, that grew in the land. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there to the descendants of Anak. Sad thing is, the nation of Israel, we know, most of you probably know that story. The sad part is, they, at that point, God was telling them, go into the promised land. But because they listened to the report of the guy, of the, there's 10 guys that kind of gave a bad report, two guys gave a good report. Because they listened to them, they ended up going into the desert for 40 years. An entire generation had to die off before they could go back into the promised land. They, there was a whole generation that, that had waited their entire lives to get into that promised land. They've been hearing about it. They've been hearing stories because God promised this back to Abraham way back, generations before this group of people ever even existed. So they had heard the stories about the promised land passed down from generation to generation. They heard that there was a land that was good, that was flowing, that one day, and they were probably telling their kids this story, but yet they get to the precipice of the promised land and they don't go in because they don't think they can do it. It's sad. It's really sad. Unfortunately, so many believers are doing the same thing. God has set a promised land before all of us, 
and every one of us, but a lot of people as believers are not entering into it. The Jewish nation was kept up by giants. Two things kept them out, giants and fortified cities. Fortified cities, I'm going to break fortified cities down for you a little bit. Fortified cities, if you don't know what that is, because we don't fight war like that really anymore. Our technology's evolved beyond that. But, but fortified cities were like these massive cities with massive defenses. They usually had huge walls, and they were notoriously hard uh, to, to break down. And they were notoriously huge and thick. And, and, and these cities were just... They were almost impossible to penetrate with the technology that existed during the day. And, you know, they would build like siege ramps and catapults and all these things. But if it was a good fortified city, there was really nothing that could penetrate a fortified city. And so they were, they were these cities that they just, they kind of looked at and they would throw their hands up because usually in those days what they would have to do in order to defeat a fortified city is they would have to siege it. So they would have to basically put their army around the outside of the city and they would have to cut off their, their food supplies and they'd have to starve them. And usually that would take years. And so, you know, smaller armies with less patience, they would just throw up their hands because fortified cities were so hard to defeat. But that's one of the things that they saw. They saw fortified cities. Now, if you were to look up fortified cities in the dictionary, um, if you just did a quick search online for what is a fortified city, the first word that's going to pop up is the word stronghold, stronghold. And we're going really, to really camp on that idea of strongholds today. So when you talk about fortified cities, it's strongholds, they're synonymous uh, with each other. So today I want you to come with me and we're going to discover how to defeat strongholds because we have strongholds. Um, in our lives that are, that as we look at coming into the promised land, there are strongholds that are keeping people out. And that's why a lot of Christians, they get to the precipice of this promised land that God, pre, that God gives to them, that Jesus promises to them, but they don't step into it because they, they, they see this, they, they maybe don't even see it, but they're strongholds that are keeping them from entering this promised land. And so I want to talk about how to defeat those strongholds that are keeping us from living that full life that Jesus promised us. Now, I told you what physical strongholds are, and we talked a little bit about that, but the strongholds that we're going to deal with, are, they're obviously different. So I want to explain what does that mean, what are strongholds. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. If you have your phone, go ahead and get that out. If you're taking notes, that's a good place to throw a note down. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. What, what are strongholds to us? What does that mean? Obviously, we know that for them, it was fortified physical cities, but we, we deal with strongholds and they're obviously of a different variety. Let's, let's look at exactly what that is. 2 Corinthians, 10, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. Now, good verses. Let's dive into them a little bit so we'll figure out exactly what does that mean. Well, in verse 4, it says that the weapons that we fight with are not physical weapons, but divine weapons that have power to demolish strongholds. So right out the gate, we know that Paul's telling us that like, God gave us weapons to demolish strongholds. Okay, they're supernatural strongholds. And the question of what is a stronghold then gets answered in verse 5. I don't know if you caught it. You have to look a little bit to see it, but it's right there. So in verse 5, the verse explains that we demolish arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Okay? So what are, it, goes, it, talks, it says we have divine weapons. We can tear down strongholds. We can defeat them. We can take those cities out, those strongholds out. And then it goes on to say we defeat, we demolish. So it says we can demolish, right? 
And then it says in verse 5, we demolish. So then it's telling us these are the things that we demolish. These are strongholds. So we go on in verse 5, and verse 5 tells us that we demolish arguments and pretensions. Pretensions literally means high, proud, lofty things, okay, ideas. It says we we defeat uh, pretensions and we defeat arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Check this out. Here it comes. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So for years when I read this verse, and this is a good one, I had it memorized, and you should too, it's a great verse. I thought that those arguments and those pretensions were like arguments that the world has. Those high and lofty and proud things, I thought those were things that the world has. Like, yeah, people have arguments about, you know, why God doesn't exist, or they have arguments about, um, you know, why God isn't relevant in this, in this world anymore. And I thought these are the arguments because they're setting themselves up against the knowledge of God. And I thought, oh yeah, that's great. Well, that's not what it's saying. As I looked deeper at it, as, as, I, as I studied for this message, I started to understand, oh, okay, there's something here. Those arguments and those pretensions are not coming from outside. They're coming from inside. They're our thoughts. Those arguments and those pretensions are our strongholds that are keeping us back. And so that's why the verse goes on and says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's no reason it should tell us to take captive every thought if it's other people's thoughts. We can't take their thoughts captive. We can only take our thoughts captive. And so I was like, whoa, what does that tell us? That tells us that strongholds are our own thoughts. That's a stronghold. Strongholds are thoughts, and they set themselves up. These are thoughts that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Okay? Let's take a step further. God is truth, correct? So anything that sets itself up against truth is what? It's a lie. Strongholds are thoughts, lies, that we believe either about ourselves or about who God is that keep us bound. Those are strongholds, according to 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Those are strongholds. So then the question is, what do we do about these strongholds? They come from many different sources, They come from many different places. Some of these strongholds happen while we're adults. Some of these strongholds happen while we are kids and we don't know any better. Some of these strongholds happen from traumatic experiences. Some of these strongholds come from perceptions that we have uh, over things that we were told that we maybe didn't fully understand and it, it caused us to act in a certain way that became a pattern of lies in our life that we continued to live by. But those are strongholds. They could have been in your mind so long that they become the mode in which you operate. Like strongholds, really hard strongholds in your heart and in your life and thoughts, they become so much ingrained in a part of you that you just do it without even thinking about it. It's like, it's like brushing your teeth, you know? You've done it for so many years. You've got the muscle memory. Your mind's done it. You don't even have to think about how to brush your teeth because it's just ingrained because you've done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. That's what strongholds are. They're lies that we have believed for so long that they become truth to us and we operate our lives out of them and we don't even know that we're doing it so many times. So many unhealthy behaviors flow out of strongholds. If you've seen unhealthy behaviors in people and you can point them out to people, or you, you, know, like you probably wouldn't unless you're really good friends with them and you know them well and God's told you to. Um, but you can probably look at someone and think, mm, they got that issue, they got that issue. Those are probably behaviors that flow out of strongholds in their lives. Sometimes we only see the symptoms of the stronghold. You know, I have this, uh, this plant that's just been the bane of my existence. 
in my landscaping for years, and um, I, unfortunately it's still there. It's, uh, some of you might know what it is. I don't even know the name of it, but it's a real pokey plant. almost kind of looks like aloe vera, but it's more annoying than aloe vera. And it blooms with like one bloom. They put two on each side of our garage and then one by our front door, whoever did before us. Um, what are they called? Anybody know? Yucca. What? Yucca. yucca. That's a great name for them. <laughs> Stinking yuck. Get out of my landscaping. That's yucca plants. Yeah, that's good. Yucca. Get out of here. Um, well-named, aptly named. And they probably did it after they planted it. Because here's the deal with yucca plants. Um, they bloom for a day. I mean, like literally a day. Like, oh, that's nice. And then, then tomorrow it's gone. I'm like, what the heck? So I have to put up with this pokey plant. I can't go, I can't hang my lights on my uh, eaves because the stupid pokey plant's right where I need to put my ladder every single time. So a couple of years ago, I got a little crazy with the yuccas and I went to war. And as I went to war with these yuccas and I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling and I'm trying to get them completely out. And I, I thought I did for the most part. And I felt pretty good about my work and they were completely eliminated from my landscape. And I thought, and if you've ever done that before, you're probably laughing because you know what's coming next. <laughs> next spring, I had like five in each area that I tried to get rid of the stupid things in. And so I just, at that point, I tried, tried like three or four times doing this, and I just gave up. So if you have good, good ways of getting rid of yuccas, please let me know because I'm not successful in them whatsoever. So what? Tordon. Tordon? Yes. I don't know what that is, but it sounds menacing. So I'll have to get some of that stuff. So Tordon, okay, that's, that's, that's what you need. Anyway, the problem was I was not getting to the root of the plant. It breaks off very easily at the top. And so, um, you know, what, what I got, what I thought was really good was the top. And I was just pulling, 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 pulling. And it looks great when you're done. But then a month later, they show up again. And there's more of them that show up because I didn't get to the root system of the plant. And here's, here's the thing that happens with strongholds. For years, I've done this as well, for years, not, not just physically, but supernaturally, or spiritually. Uh, here's what happens with, super, with Christians. We do this all the time. There's a stronghold in our life. We don't always identify the stronghold, but we, un, we recognize the behavior that we don't like. And so what do we do? We do behavior modification because that's what we can see. That's up on the surface. So we try, to, try not to do the thing, or we, we try to be better, and we try to work on that thing. We try not to, and we try not to, and we try to work, and we're at the altar, and we're asking God, help me with this issue, help me with this issue, help me with this issue, and like, why isn't God doing anything about this? The Bible says that Jesus came to set me free, but I've been to the altar 15,000 times, and I'm getting no victory in my life. I'm working on this thing, and I'm putting everything I have to it, all my willpower and all my might, but nothing is changing what in the world is going on. It's because you haven't got to the root of the problem. You can't drive out a stronghold by behavior modification. That doesn't work. You know what that is? That's just more legalism. That's just more of us trying to, trying to become God in our lives and trying to take care of that thing on our own. You can't do it. And I know a lot of Christians, and I've been one of them for a number of years, that you try and you try and you try and you pray and you pray and you're down at the altar and you're down at the altar and you're trying to take care of this thing that's bothering you or these things because you see them and then you might do well in those areas for a while and then you just, you're back, you're back to it months later. It's because you haven't deciphered the root of that stronghold. You're taking care of behavior and behavior modification was never what God meant he meant to destroy that thing at its source, and it's a work that he does. It's not a work that we do. Isn't that cool? 
You know how freeing that is, that Jesus is the one who sets us free, that the Holy Spirit sets us free, that I don't have to work and work and work and work and work because it doesn't depend on me. This was something that God has given us, not something that we have to earn, but it's something that God has given us. It's a right for every child of God to live that full life and to to be in a place where you're free. So what do those deep-rooted strongholds look like? Well, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples, and I don't have time to go through all of them. Obviously, there's thousands of them. Um, but let me give you a couple. Um, those those deep-rooted strongholds may be someone who's always, you might see on the surface someone who's argumentative and combative. But maybe deep down inside, they're trying to prove something in themselves because they believed a lie that they aren't good enough. You ever been with a person like that? They just, they, they're always trying to prove themselves, and so they're angry, and sometimes we call it little man syndrome, you know, where they're always trying to prove something to everybody, and they're just angry all the time. And we see the anger, but we don't see the root stronghold that they're dealing with. Or maybe it's someone that on the outside is just cold and cruel. Well, maybe they've been operating under a lie that they're unlovable, and so they put up a front to keep everybody at arm's length and refuse to let anybody in. Do you see the difference of what I'm talking about? I had a, there was a, a girl that I went to master's commission with, um, a program that, we, that I did for ministry. And I remember the first Sunday that we were in church, and it was really awkward. I, it's just one of those things that you should never, as a worship leader, uh, you know, we have greeting time. So we had greeting time in that church too. But he's like, why don't you to turn around and give somebody a hug that you don't know? Like, whoa, that is so weird today. Like, we wouldn't even think about that today, really. But um, I remember turning back and giving her a hug, and I, it was just, she was ice cold. I mean, just emotionless and just, you know. But she turned out to be a really great person, but there was a certain time of the year that she got really upset. And uh, just, again, ice cold and just cruel to everybody. And um, somebody confronted on her and called her on it. And then we, what we found out later is she kind of talked to our group that she had, that, that time during the year, um, she had been raped when she was at a sleepover at the age of 11. And so um, those issues that she had that looked like one thing on the surface were a different lie that she had been believing about herself that was a stronghold that was put into her life because somebody abused her at that age. You might see someone who's addicted to food. They're incredibly overweight. Maybe they're self-medicating with food because someone's abused them in horrific ways, and that's all they know how to do to make the pain go away. Most addictions come from strongholds, whether it's substance like pills or alcohol or other addictions like food or pornography. Um, the major- I would say the majority of those uh, addictions that people face come from strongholds, deep-rooted lies that people have been believing about themselves that come out in these behaviors. Does that make sense to everybody? We see what's on the top. Up until recently, I've, I've, uh, I've been living under a stronghold, and I, I want to share this with you because I've taken a journey over, over the last month or so, and God has done some great things in my life, and I really wanted to, I was excited to preach this message this morning because I really wanted to share with you some of the things that God had been doing in my life, and I just want to give you one example of um, something that God has shown me in, in a stronghold that has been broken in my life. Um, so I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Okay, and uh, I, I was, this started way back, and I didn't even realize this um, until very recently, but um, I've always been one person, a person that tries to keep the peace, even if it meant making sacrifices in my life that was painful, and, um, you know, meaning extreme anxiety for me, you know, because when you're between, uh, you know, if you've got two people that you love in your life, and they're trying to tell you different things, or they want to go in two different directions, and you're trying to keep the peace between them, it makes you feel like, 
Uh, it makes you feel like you're being torn apart on the inside when you're trying to please one person and please the other, and then you're full of anxiety. And I find myself walking that tightrope a lot, trying to make everyone else's lives peaceful. Well, um, I felt like I was being ripped apart on the inside. And so in exploring this idea, I realized that it all started when I was younger, um, because when I was younger, my parents had fights, as you know, parents do. Um, and for whatever reason, I took it upon myself. Maybe, maybe it's a function partly of my personality, but to make sure that I kept the peace in the house. And so I would try to keep the peace between mom and keep the peace between dad. Why? Because I, that was my security. You know, as a child, your home is your security. And when mom and dad are fighting and when divorce is threatened, that security is threatened. And so in order to keep that from happening, keep my security and my peace from leaving, I would go to great lengths to do whatever I can to try to keep the peace in the house. Do you know how well a seven-year-old can manage the complex emotions of two adults in conflict? <laughs> Not well. In fact, if you had to keep it up, it'd make you crazier than a dog in a hubcap, hubcap factory. It's when that truth was spoken to me, it freed me, you guys. When someone spoke truth to my lie, and then I spoke truth to my lie, God's truth, that I don't need to manage that as a seven-year-old, I could not manage the complex emotions of two adults. I, guys, I can't tell you, it was like an like elephant had been sitting on my chest for 30-some years, and all of a sudden, he was off, and I was like, ah, oh, I can breathe, I'm free, you know? And I'm like, this is the freedom that Jesus is talking about. Someone just speaking truth into my situation, and then me speaking truth into my life, saying it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're not in control of anybody else's emotions but your own. I let other people, so, so now um, instead of trying to keep the peace, I, uh, I let people manage their own emotions and, you know, they're over here throwing a fit and I'm just, I'm over here just walking in freedom, you know, like, hey, I, I hear you, I'm sorry you're having a fit, but I'm just going to keep walking in freedom over here. I think you're awesome, but, you know, go throw your fit somewhere else because I'm not as responsible for your emotions, you're responsible for your own. And that's what it's like to walk and freedom. And guys, that's just a small example of what I think Jesus wants to do in your lives today. He wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to have freedom in those areas that you have been struggling with and you've been at the edge of the promised land. Maybe you stepped in there a time or two, but all you're doing is trying to modify your behavior, but you forget that there's strongholds. Or maybe you don't even know that there's deep-rooted strongholds that need to be tore down in your life. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Let's talk about that. First thing you need to do is identify the stronghold. First thing you need to do. You probably already know the behaviors and thought patterns that are destructive. You probably know that there's areas or some area in your life that keeps messing you up or some behavior that you're trying to get rid of uh, or deal with that you know maybe isn't godly or whatever. Um, but have you ever asked yourself, why? Why do you act like that? Why do you react that way? You ever ask yourself that question? Something, someone says something and then you just kind of, you have this overblown response or you get really, really angry or you get really, really quiet or shy or sad or cruel or you ever ask yourself, why do I, why do I do that? Why do I react that way? And maybe you know you react that way and you're like, I hate the way I react, but don't ask, don't just sit there and condemn yourself for it. Ask yourself, why do I react that way? That's part of identifying a stronghold in your life. Let your mind go there. And then here's an even better idea. Let the Holy Spirit in and ask the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit would love nothing more than to identify strongholds 
in your life that need to be broken. So, and if you're going to identify the stronghold, start asking yourself some real questions. Get in your mindset. Reflect a little bit. But then also ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are the strongholds that I've been believing? What are the lies, the deep-seated, rooted lies in my heart that I've been believing that are causing me to do these things that I hate doing? Bring the Holy Spirit in. So you got to identify the stronghold. And then once the stronghold is identified, then you destroy it, right? It needs to be destroyed. But how do you destroy something so powerful? Well, Paul, that we, we read that verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and it tells us that we have weapons that have, and literally that word there um, says we, we have, that we demolish, or we have weapons that have divine power. Um, that's like, is God power. I mean, we have supernatural God power. So again, it's not, it's not us doing it. It's the weapons that God have, has given us, and those weapons have some supernatural, awesome power to demolish strongholds. So we need to get a hold of those weapons. So uh, and to defeat him. So the, the crazy thing, though, in that verse is that he doesn't talk about what those weapons are, right? He tells us, we have these weapons for destroying strongholds, but he never goes to the place of telling us what those weapons are. Well, he does in another part of the Bible. So the same Paul that wrote to the church in Corinth, the book of Corinthians, first and second, he also wrote to a place called, uh, a church called Ephesus. And we know that book by, the, by uh, Ephesians, or we know that that's the church that he wrote the letter to. The book is called Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6, Paul picks up this idea again. Uh, so Ephesians 6.12 says this. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Okay, so we know that we're not fighting a physical fight, but we're fighting against, uh, we're fighting against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Okay, that's what Paul tells us. So, um, we know that, so that language looks similar, doesn't it? Um, because if you go back in 2 Corinthians, uh, if you go back a little ways, you see that he says, we have, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. I was going to see if I could find it real quick, but I can't. Oh, yeah, he says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, okay? And then he goes on in, in Ephesians 6, and he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. So these weapons that he talks about are the same weapons he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. He goes on to tell us, he calls these weapons the armor of God, as you go on in this verse. And he talks about the full armor of God. And there's different pieces to this armor. There's the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. These are the pieces we wear, okay? These are our identity in Christ. Salvation, that we're redeemed, that's part of our identity. Speakers of truth, that's part of our identity. Righteousness is part of our identity. Peace is part of our identity as children of God. So these, these parts of the, the armor that I'm talking about, these four parts are our identity. They're the parts that we wear, okay? That's how we step out because we're children of God. But then there's two more that he mentions that we wield. So we wear four pieces, we wield two pieces. And those are the active pieces. Those are the pieces that, that aren't just a part of who we are, but they're the weapons that we get to use in our warfare. And let's, I want to explore those a little bit because these are the ones that demolish, these are the divine weapons that demolish the strongholds we've been talking about. Okay, the first one is the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the evil one. So, tells us that the shield can stop the fiery arrows of the devil, right? What are his fiery arrows? What are, lies, you already said it. I mean, do you want me to describe it to you, or do you just already know it? You guys are good. Lies are his weapons. When he tempted Adam and Eve, he used lies. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he twisted the truth and made it a lie, okay? Those are his weapons. John uh, 8, 44b says, 
This talking about this is Jesus talking about the devil. He says he's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when it says the shield of faith can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, it means that it extinguishes the lies that Satan can throw at us. But how does faith help us destroy the lies? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna mix my metaphors here, so sorry for doing that, but. Remember earlier when I said the way that you would tear down strongholds in ancient warfare was by laying siege and starving the population of a city? Remember that? The same principle applies here. If that stronghold is going to survive, it needs to be fed by something, okay? That stronghold needs to continue to be fed. Um, and so how does that stronghold get fed? Well, it gets fed through lies. All that... that, that that idea that you believe about yourself, whether it's I'm not good enough or I'm broken or um, I'm useless or I'm worthless, whatever that core lie is that you believe about yourself, Satan is going to continue to keep those thoughts coming in different forms and different fashions. Maybe you don't believe that you're a, maybe you think you're odd and you're out of place and you've always felt out of place. Um, you know, you go to, uh, maybe you go to someplace where everybody's dressed up and you're not. All of a sudden that thought's going to come, I told you. You're weird, you're out of place, you're never going to fit in. So those lies are going to continue to try to feed that stronghold. But guess what? We have the shield of faith so we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And as we extinguish those arrows, as we extinguish those lies, guess what? We start to starve and we start to weaken that stronghold. If we don't believe the lies that he continues to feed us, we weaken that stronghold. But why faith? Well, I believe it's because when you operate of a stronghold lie for so much of your life, Hearing the truth in what God says about you, because that's the truth, right? Um, it, it gets really hard to believe that sometimes, you know? I, I remember, you know, as just praying, at, you know, at different times in my life, I prayed. And, you know, I've, I, like I said, I've recently been set free from a lot of really core strongholds in life. And um, when I talk to myself in my internal voice, I don't know if you have an internal voice, but when you think to yourself or you talk to yourself kind of in your internal voice, mine was always very harsh to myself. You know, like, stupid, why in the world would you do that? You know, I say these things to myself, and I was just harsh. There have been times in my life where I have been praying, and the, the voice of the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, and it was gentle, and it affirmed me, and it was so completely foreign to me that I'll tell you guys what, it was so hard to believe, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it was God. And this is kind of a revelation I've had recently that I, I started looking back at these patterns in my life. He would say things like, my son and I love you, and I'm like, these aren't part of my natural vocabulary, even my internal vocabulary. And so here's God speaking these things to me, and it's his voice, but I'm so programmed in my own strongholds that I don't think about myself that way. But I know that it's God speaking to me. And so um, maybe you're in that place, you know, where you've been programmed for so long that, that it's completely foreign to you when God starts speaking to you. So you have to use faith sometimes. I think of Gideon, when uh, God came to him back in the book of Judges, God came to him and said, said uh, hello, or God is with you, mighty warrior. That's what God said to Gideon. And what does Gideon do? Two verses down the way, he starts listing all, all of his deficiencies to God. He wasn't ready to hear it. Like, he couldn't, he couldn't grasp the fact that God was calling him what he really was. Like, Gideon, this is your identity in me. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm the weakest of my family and my clan's the smallest in the nation. And, and, you know, and he just goes on to list how little he is. But yet God calls him a mighty warrior. So I think it takes faith for us to believe the word of God. And that's why it's called the shield of faith. So we, we know that, that the arrows that are coming at us are lies. 
And sometimes, a lot of times, we even know God's truth. We know the truth of the word of God many times. But the hard part is, in order to use truth, you have to believe that that truth is true. Does that make sense? I know this, I'm really trying to go deep here, so, so forgive me if I'm, if I'm missing it. But you got to believe that, uh, that you have to have faith in order to believe that God's word is true, what he says about you. And that's hard to believe because sometimes it's not natural for us sometimes to believe what God says about us. So we have to have faith to say, okay, I don't believe it right now. I don't understand it right now, or not that I don't believe it. I'm having a hard time grasping it, and it's foreign to me, but I'm going to believe it because I trust the Lord and I know that he's right. So you just have to step out in faith. And as you do that, with those truths, and that you can use that shield of faith, with those truths, if you're believing in them, to keep those lies from penetrating your heart and feeding those strongholds in your life. The second weapon that he gives us is the sword of the Spirit. It's the final weapon we're given to defeat the stronghold. It's the sword of the Spirit, which Paul goes on to tell us is what? Uh, it's in Ephesians 6, 17. It says this. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, go on to the next one. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it says, take the helmet of salvation, okay, and the sword of the Spirit, and he goes on to define what's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God, right? So we don't have to wonder what is that. We don't have to dig around in the Bible. It's right there for us. It's the Word of God. Our shield is our defensive weapon to keep the lies from coming in, but the sword that's our offensive weapon, to strike back at the enemy. Arrows, right, that are coming, the lies that are coming, and then we strike with the truth. We defend the lies, and we strike with the truth. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus showed us a perfect example of how to do this. When he was tempted in the wilderness three separate times, do you remember what Jesus said to Satan all three times he was tempted? Three words. It is written. And then he quoted scripture. It is written, quoted scripture. It is written, quoted scripture. In other words, you're not going to let you, your lies aren't going to penetrate me. Your lies aren't going to get down in my heart. Your lies aren't going to be something that I live my life by because I know the truth. And so, boom, he just spikes truth, 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 truth. And guess what Satan did? He left him. Speak truth to those lies. Well, how do you do that? Well, where do you find the truth? Well, when you've identified that lie, then you combat it with scripture for number one. That's, you use scripture. Okay, the word of God is in part, the Bible is the Word of God. We call it the Word, right? The Word of God. So you, you memorize areas of Scripture um, where that stronghold has defeated you so hard. And I would challenge you to go through. You can go on the Internet and you can say, look up Scriptures on fear. Look up Scriptures on, you know, uh, worth. You know, what does God say about me? Those kinds of things. Memorize those things so that when Satan tries to come against you, when your mind tries to, sometimes it's not even Satan, sometimes it's just your own stronghold coming against you, you start speaking truth to that lie. And I'll tell you guys what, when I spoke truth to my lies that I had believing, my strongholds, that's when they broke. You know the word of God. You've been given the word of God, not just even in the word of God, but, but God, not only does he give us his own word, but he also, through the Holy Spirit, speaks with us. That's why we, that's what's so awesome about being Christians. God's not dead, right? He's alive, and he has a relationship with us, and relationship means you talk to one another. You know, we pray, but then God speaks to us. God might have dropped something in your heart, a revelation about who you are. You speak that truth, and I don't care if you speak it out loud. I think that would be great. Confess that word that God has given you over your stronghold and watch that baby just crumble in Jesus' name because it will. We don't have to try and try and try and try and try and try and try. We speak the word and we believe the word that we're speaking when we speak to that stronghold and that stronghold comes tumbling down in Jesus' name. 
Speak that truth. God's given you truth in his word. God's given you truth in your heart. Speak that truth because you know who your heart listens to you the best. So when you can say to your heart, hey, listen, that's not true. When I could say to little seven-year-old Jared, hey, guess what, guy? That's wrong. You can't manage other people's emotions. That puts you in bondage. You're not equipped to handle that. I can speak to my heart and my heart gets it, guys. This is what I'm trying to say. Sitting on the edge of the promised land because we're trying to do it with head knowledge. Because some of us know up here, but we don't apply it down here. And we sit at the edge of this promised land. We're looking at the promised land saying, I want that so badly, but I can't get there. Because we're trying to do it this way and we're trying to do it by human effort and it doesn't work that way. You have to speak to the heart, speak to the lie, and let God take that stronghold down in your life. You've allowed those lies to be fed for so long into you and for all those years. So get aggressive. Get aggressive proclaiming the truth over yourself. Proclaim the truth over your children. I even have this in my notes, but proclaim the truth over your kids. Tell them who they are in Jesus Christ. There's so many kids and so many times that kids get fed lies that we should be the opposite. We should be the ones that are raising kids that are healthy and they're confident and they're going to take this world by storm because they know who they are because they've been fed the word of God from an early age. Tell them who they are. Look them straight in there and confess that and profess that over their lives of who they are and what the truth is about who God says that they are. Truth is the antithesis of a lie. So create strongholds of truth. So there's good strongholds too. And create strongholds of truth and you'll discover the freedom of living a full life. Create those strongholds of truth. Believe those truths. And I'm going to say this today. You may, you may have a hard time finding those strongholds in your life and that's okay. You know, some, for me it took sitting down with a group of people and someone and, and going through a process to try to identify what my strongholds were. And then speaking to them. You may need to get into something like Ultimate Journey, where you can explore some of those strongholds. I mean, that's what Ultimate Journey does. Explore those strongholds and, and uh, help you defeat those by speaking the truth to those strongholds. Maybe you need to sit down with someone who's a little more qualified, like a counselor, and talk about some of those things and help them help you identify strongholds and then speak God's truth. And find a counselor that knows Jesus and loves Jesus, okay, and is going to speak biblical truth to you. Don't just find somebody that's just secular practice, okay? Find someone who knows Jesus, and they can speak biblical truth to you. But you may need some help in that. So if you need some help, by all means, please go get some help. You know what's cool? Sometimes we work through the process, and sometimes God just delivers us instantaneously. So don't ever quit praying that God's going to deliver you from those strongholds either. Always pray for that, because sometimes God instantaneously will deliver us from those things. He's capable of anything. Well, as I'm wrapping up today, you know, the Jews, they tried to enter the promised land for the first, in the first time, and they were defeated by the lies they believed. In fact, you know what was interesting, and I didn't talk about this in the story, but at, when the spies came back and they gave the bad report, um, then God basically punished the nation and said, you're not going to go into the promised land. Well, after that, they said, hey, we're ready now, God. I mean, this is like right after that. They said, hey, God, we're ready. We're going to take an army and we're going to go up because we believe you now. But Moses said, no, God's not with you. I'm not going. And so you know what happened? They took an army into the promised land and they got decimated because they tried to do it in their own strength. But when the Jews, after 40 years of being in the wilderness, after that generation of people died off, they came to the precipice again of the, uh, of the new world, the promised land, and they were going to go in. You know what the first thing was that they had to do? 
the first battle they had to fight, Pastor Donnie actually preached about it a couple weeks ago. They had to uh, take down this city by the name of Jericho. This city that had uh, walls that were like 20 feet thick and 30 feet high. You know what Jericho was? Stronghold. The first thing they do is they had to fight a stronghold. And you know what they did? They didn't, get a, they didn't get the army together and they didn't march in there. They listened to the Lord and they asked God, God, what do you want us to do? And he told them and he gave them a very unorthodox strategy and you probably remember it. They had to march around the city a number of times, different days. And then at the end of the seventh day, they had to shout, lift up their voices and that stronghold just came crumbling down. They didn't even have to necessarily lift a finger in battle. Now they had to do what God asked them, but they didn't have to lift a finger in battle. You know why? Did they take down that wall? Who did? God. God took it down. The first time that they went in, they did it on their own, their own strength. The second time, they did it in the power of God because they were obedient to the Lord. You're trying to take down the strongholds, you can't do it on your own. You need to bring God along. You need to use the weapons that he's given you, but let him do the work. Let him identify those strongholds. Let him give you the truth to speak to those strongholds. Your part in this is having faith that he's able to do those things and then speaking what he gives you to speak. That's your job. Because the Israelites, they did have a job. They had to walk around the city. They didn't just sit back. But God did the heavy lifting. When it comes to these strongholds, I want every single one of you to live in that place where you're living a full life. I want, every, I want that for everybody. I want you to live in joy. I want you to live in peace. I want you to live without anxiety. I want you to live without comparison. I want you to live in a place where you just feel like you are complete and you are whole and you are enjoying life no matter what your circumstances are. That's what I want for each and every one of you. That's why Jesus said that you, he wants to come and give you life and, and give it to you to the full. It's possible. He made a way for it to happen. So I encourage you this morning to step into that, to practice the things I talked about, but let him do the work for you. Let's pray. Father, you are great. Lord, we love you so much. God, I thank you that you made a way for us to live free. I thank you, God, that you've called us to a promised land of completeness and wholeness. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us the words to speak. God, even, even supernaturally, give us the faith to believe those things when we aren't quite there yet so that we can extinguish those arrows, starve that stronghold so that, God, we can fight and so that we can see you do the work that you want to do in our lives. God, I pray for each and every individual because I know there's a lot of strongholds represented out here today. Addictions, God, behaviors, Lord, break them in Jesus' name. Break them in Jesus' name. God, so much so that next week when everybody comes back, Lord, there'll be new people. God, they'll feel like that weight's off their chest. Lord, they'll be walking in the victory that they've been looking for for years. God, give them that promised land experience. Father, we thank you and we give you praise today. And it's in Jesus' awesome name we say, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.